I would like us to share some ideas today on the subject of bonding or binding. Perhaps we should define our terms. We're talking about bonding. We're talking about the movement between individuals to develop an interconnectedness, a love, mutual trust, and sharing and caring. The transcendent awareness so strong that there's oneness even in separation. There's no holding on. It's complete unrestricted un love. Feeling of you'll always be there. This is a bonding. It's a relative term. The other word is binding. We're using this particularly because of its euphonious nature, but basically we think of it as a metaphor for all that is not working toward bonding. There's a binding process that takes place within us which blocks the flow, which breaks the interconnectedness. We begin to think selfishly, we begin to worry, we have negative feelings about a relationship. We're binding. I'm using the words adjectivally. They're action words. Bonding is a process that always goes on in the direction of the one you love, the one you care for, the one you want to be with. We never achieve bonding once and for all. I always get a kick out of the fundamentalist Christians who talk about being saved. Think of it as the end and all, I'm saved. Are you saved, brother? They're very sincere. Unfortunately, it seems to me that saving, salvation is not something that's done once and for all. Continuous process. You're saved for today, but you got it. What about tomorrow? So this is bonding. We tend to think in popular psychology dealing with human relations that if you're bonded with a person, it's like, like having money in the bank. It's, you have a certificate that says you're bonded. You're together. You're one. Most of us know, however, in human relations it doesn't work that way. There's a certain amount of slippage that takes place in all human consciousness experiences. And we do have discipline. And watchfulness is important. Continue to do the unselfish thing, the thoughtful word, the expression of love. This bonding and binding, we'll think about it some more about that. Love is an interesting word. We can define love, but as many of you know, I don't like definitions. If you define a thing, you Effectively limited. That's all there is. This is it. This is this is love. Love is da 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 da. Anytime anybody mentions da da da, yeah, you know what it is. It's love. So in a sense, we say I da da da, da you. But love is not an absolute. 
It's around them. The Greeks divided love up into several parts. Eros love and agape love and so forth. As if these are three areas where you have certain particular things. You stop your agape love, your filial love, and you get into Eros love. Something separate and apart. But love is universal. You can't break it down into segments. It's true that in a very, very human sense, sensual sense, love becomes erotic, it's eros. But still love, it's the same love that is spiritual. Same love that is divine love. In a relative sense, relatively experienced. So love is not to be defined. It's an underlying consciousness goes in through all things. But because love is expressed and experienced in various levels, one would think that if two people love each other, they have a beautiful bonding relationship. Not necessarily so. Because love may be human, it may be sensual, maybe a lower level of the love consciousness. On that lower level, there may not be a complete interconnectedness. There may not be a complete caring and sharing. There may be selfishness. There may be possessiveness. There are many limitations that happen between people who love. So love is an activity that is universally present. We're told he has loved us with everlasting love. There's a constant lovingness within us to be expressed. In fact, we're always expressing love on certain levels of consciousness. When we talk about bonding, then we're not just talking about loving. Something more than that. We're talking about a complete selflessness, ability to understand, to be patient. The interesting thing is, when we stop and think of it in this sense, the classic metaphor for true loving, true bonding is a friend. A friend may be more bonded than two lovers. Because quite often in love we have jealousies, we have insecurities, we feel that maybe we're not fulfilling our role as a lover or a friend. So oftentimes I tell people when they get married, Whatever you do, be good friends. Sometimes people involved in love forget about friendship. Friendship is the true bonding. To the degree that people in love have this friendship, this stability, this being there always, this understanding, this patience, do they experience bonding. It could be said that the first bond in the universe and in history is the bond between God and man. It's a constant. We may not always be conscious of it. We may lose the awareness of it. We may fall far short in the expression of it. That's the true bond in the beginning. 
relationship that we hold between God and ourselves. When we talk about God, we, again, talk about a word that has many meanings and is applied to many different states of consciousness. Augur was reading something recently and it said, surprising to us, Jehovah God was the first dysfunctional parent. Interesting that some people put God into that category as, as a parent that loves and hates and resists and tears down and builds up. Because we know God to be whole and complete, universal, changeless and eternal. The first experience of bonding in our life occurs not always, but most of the time when we're born to our mother. The child is born within hours. There's a move toward bonding. If the mother is secure, well-balanced, stable in self-awareness, there's an easy natural bonding for this beautiful creature. An interconnectedness that builds up a relationship that carries through all their lives. Has an effect on the mother and the child. The mother sees the child beginning to develop. She has a transcendent awareness that transcends separation. As the child begins to pull away and to become independent, her love is strong enough to tolerate this and to make, adapt herself to it. As the child grows out into the world, the mother makes herself progressively unnecessary and lovingly so, willingly so. She lovingly loses him and lets him go into life and feels good about it. And there's always a oneness because there's a bond. But if the mother as is often the case, sometimes the case, is insecure, not quite self-aware. When she looks at this little creature that she holds in her hands for the first time, quite often she's fearful, sometimes even resistant, sometimes emotionally disturbed, sometimes inadequate. In all of these states of consciousness, there's a binding that, that takes place. This often is the mother who apparently has the closest relationship with the child because she's always holding the child, always drawing him to her. Unconsciously she expresses possessiveness. This so often makes the child an emotional cripple. This happens more than we would like to admit. I talked to a man a few years ago who had a special offer for a job that meant great changes in his life, increased income, increased responsibility, increased opportunity for his creativity. I asked him what he was going to do. He said, well, I've got to talk to my mother first. He was 48 years old. He became a total emotional cripple. There was no bonding. He was holding on to his mother and she was holding on to him. They were close in all respects, we say, but there was no bond. 
There's nothing that was no interconnectedness. She was always worried about him. Always concerned, always fearful, always anxious. She was always binding. Also, in 600 BC, defined life is to be in relations. He says a person lives in proportion to the number of points with which he makes contact with life and with the world. By his concept of the flow, we know that he is referring to getting centered in the individual, fount individual fountain that we're in. When he talks of the points with which he makes contact with life and with the world, he's talking about an inner bonding with the source, an awareness of this bond that exists between us and God, and a horizontal bonding with people out there. The number of points with which you make contact with the world, with people, and in the relations. It's interesting to note that there's a common belief into a new environment, when a person is thrust into a new environment, he has to make friends. You've been in that situation. You've got a new job, moved to a new town, left college at one time in your life and set out into the world. Have a whole new environment, new people. We told you you should make friends. Let me understand the basic bonding realization. You know that we can never make friends. You can never make friends with anybody. You can only accept friends. If you make, try to make friends, unconsciously, there's a tendency to try to make them over, to redo them, to reshape them, to convert them to your ways of thinking. They remain friends only as long as they're converted. They remain converted. If they tend to express some differences from your ideals and goals, you quickly begin to bind. You can never make people be in relations. You can make them sit together, but you can't make them one. You can never make people be in relations. When one person seems to have more friends than another, it's not because he's made more friends, but because he's accepted more friends. And we're always in spiritual unity with God. There's a bondage between ourselves and the infinite process. And we're always in spiritual unity with all persons, though we're not always aware of it. So this universal aspect of love. We live in love, always. Quite often people say, I'm in love with this person. Beautiful. Did you know that you're in love with all persons? We're all in love together. Falling in love quite often is a delusion. Falling in love is I mean, admittedly a very painful process. I remember the time I talked to my young son when he's come home from Sunday school. He was kind of moody, and I said, what's the matter? He said, I'm in love with a girl in the class. That's marvelous. He said, no, but it's so painful. Why does it hurt so much? Many folks have experienced that. The pain, strangely enough, is 
a binding process. It's not bonding. Before there can be a bonding in any marriage relationship, any kind of relationship, there has to be a rising in love. Rising out of that lower level, erotic love, agape love, rising into spiritual consciousness. Quite often people are slow to let that rising process take place. Sometimes it never does take place. You have a marriage that, in a sense, could be said that what God would put asunder, let not man keep together. A new insight in the divorce. We're always in unity with God and with all persons. We're always in love with people. Our need is to awaken, to realize it. You don't have to make yourself love anyone. You can't make yourself love anyone. Love is a process that we're all involved in all the time at various levels. We need us to awaken, see ourselves in this consciousness of love where we find it easy to be friends with people and have friendships and relationships and real bonding. Any relationship in, in marriage and friendship with co-workers and so forth, there's always an opportunity to grow. Some may present you with more opportunities than others. But if you're willing to give yourself to the process of personal growth, the relationship will become mutually helpful and fulfilling. But if you're simply looking for window dressing, for a life that you have no desire to change, there can be nothing but trouble ahead. Many of us are well aware of that. When the binding process turns to a binding activity, there's an unconscious tendency, as we said, to try to change people, to make them over, to turn them into something that they're not. But a person can never be other than what he is. You can't be anybody else. You're only yourself. Remember the classic story of the ugly duckling? Imagine Mama Duck in your exasperation with this misfit, this delinquent. Why doesn't he fit in? He probably made every effort to try to change him. It didn't work. He was just an ugly duckling. The key is not changing him, but accepting him. Helping him to accept himself. And then bonding with him. The ugly duckling did eventually change. Not as they thought he should. He became what he'd always been. A lovely swan. Many of the misfits, misfits in life come through this kind of rejection, this negativity. It's probably come through a binding process, perhaps with mother, with parents, with friends, people around them, school teachers, always binding when they're with him. Binding in the sense that they're pulling away from the, any possibility of, of bonding. Many people dealing with self-improvement in a superficial way made a great effort, abetted by all the things we read about psychology, to build an attractive personality. And we think this is an important thing of maturing and growing up. Put on the personality. It's a mask we wear. Almost to the concealment of the real person behind the mask. When we've been binding in our relationship with ourselves, 
Their fears inadequacies, self-conscious, limited. If we can begin to bond in ourselves, think those things that make for self-awareness, self-confidence, self-reliance, self-control. A whole new thing happens within us. We see ourselves in a different light. We begin to get to know the person behind the mask. The idea of a mask may seem foreign to you, but the fact is that we all wear them. We're a special mask when we come into an auditorium like this. Maybe it's our go-to-church mask. A mask of piety. We're doing something good every day. You might say it's a mask, not a mask, it's not, it's not insincere, but it still is a, a mask you put on, which you may take off when you meet someone in the subway that's rather hostile. You change the mask quickly. You put on the mask of anger and irritation. We have many of them, but the personality mask is very definitely a problem. It makes for good actors, but it hinders our ability to have good relations. When we try to deepen a relationship with what sometimes is called a significant other, the mask, yours and the others, will always get in the way. This may lead to the fantasy that someday you'll find the right person. But the need is not to find the right person. It's to be the right person. All sorts of unreal expectations of a relationship are built up in our consciousness. Placing them on relationships even before they happen. You'll be looking for that significant other who make you feel good and happy and fulfilled, make you feel loved, defined, and supported, expecting your whole life to be changed. You may hold this burden to lay on the other who you dream of coming into your life, an expectation that no one can fulfill. It's a very selfish motive for a relationship. Chances are unlikely that there will be any real bonding. Much of the activity is binding, self-limiting. Placing a block between any bonding relationship. If we deal with forming a friendship or a more serious relationship purely in human consciousness, there will be a tendency toward possessiveness. Any relationship should be a bonding of peers in which there is no need for dominance or submission or satisfying possessiveness. Sometimes you can find in yourself, if you're honest with yourself, Perhaps a counselor can tell you, or in a group activity, people will tell you, if they're honest with you. Many of your friendships or relationships that you have in the world, on the basis of the fact that you have control, you can get them to do things for you. They give you a sense of power. If you're really honest and analytical of yourself and all your relationships, you'll find that a certain amount of this exists more than you know. It's good to see this and to take away the, the binding activity which is so human and begin bonding, moving toward selflessness, the willingness to share, mutual helpfulness, creating a bridge of oneness, wholeness, love.
When we look to our primal bonding with spirit, we stop looking to persons to fulfill us. Only then will our focus on relationships change from what others can do for us to what we can do for them. From the desire to possess to the desire to share. We want to relate, not own. We want to commune, not dictate. By accepting people for who they are, not just what they can do for us, we grant them the freedom to be themselves. In so doing, we establish a deeper bond with them. It's a misleading axiom that has wide acceptance that love comes naturally when we find the right object to love and be loved by. Love comes naturally when you find the right object to love and be loved by. This erroneous thought tends to lead people to put emphasis on ways of attracting the person. Both men and women have typical wiles that they use to draw the opposite sex. It's part and parcel of human consciousness. Let me tell you about a woman who desired marriage for all the wrong reasons. She wanted a husband. She wasn't aware of it, but she wanted him as a possession. She had a job. She had a family, and she wanted a husband. And the scalp to wear on her belt. She used all the wiles on this naive man. She chased him till he caught her. <laughs> to friends, she confided, he didn't have a chance. He didn't have a chance. Neither did love have a chance. There was no bonding attempted and none achieved. For the marriage to have continued for any length of time, the young man would have had to succumb to a binding possessiveness. There would have needed to be a major change in the attitude on the part of the woman. I can say, because I knew about the case, that she did ultimately come to understand her error, so it wasn't a total loss. She tried to set it right, but it was too late. Relationships like this sometimes, unfortunately, continue for years. These people live out their lives in quiet desperation. They may say, but I, I try to be loving. I try to love. I try to be kind. I say often, though it may be shocking to you, to try to love is not to love. Love isn't trying. It's being. Many of us are caught up in this. They say, if I can just be a little more loving to this person, I'll make every effort to love and forgive. I'm going to forgive if it kills me. There's no forgiveness then. No matter where we have the words, there's no forgiveness. That's the story I tell so often. The Irish woman who put her head out the window to a woman up in another town, Mrs. Fogarty, the other woman said, yes. The father says, I must love you, Mrs. Fogarty. So I love you. But you know what I think of you, Mrs. Fogarty. <laughs> try to be forgiving, to try to be nice, to try to be kind, to try to be loving. is to be binding. You're creating a block all the while you're trying to make this effort. If you have to make an effort to love, you better let go and get away.
either dissolve the relationship or dissolve the blocks in your own consciousness. I think the latter is possible. Many folks are not willing to do that. It's all important, if you keep centered in the love flow, in your contacts with people, you become lovable and loved. You'll never be lonely, because you have an interconnectedness that transcends any separation from loved ones. You become attractive and socially acceptable, moving away from any friends and companions. Into this flow of relationships, there may appear one special person with whom you may experience a very special kind of deep and mutual love and support. It's not a matter of falling in love. It's a rising in love to a level of awareness that is almost mystical, but very beautiful and enduring. When the bond exists between lovers, and with, as with a mother and a child, infant child, there's no possessiveness, they're holding on. You can always tell by looking at yourself whether you have a bonding process going on. If you're jealous, if you're fearful when a person leaves you, if you're always worrying about him, Hate to let him go. This is not love. This is binding. That's a pretty high, hard idea to keep up to it, but we have to remember we're spiritual beings and we have a tremendous potential within us to live an abundant life, a full and well-rounded life. We have to take hold of ourselves, take responsibility for our own consciousness, take charge of our lives. There will be space in the togetherness of people who are truly bonded. This is uh, getting a bronze out. Let there be space in your togetherness. It's freedom and security. And the kind of connectedness that Ruth had with Naomi. Remember in her words to her mother-in-law? It's interesting because most people think of an in-law as an outlaw. You have great difficulties with in-laws. But this is a great expression of love. And evidence of perfect bonding. Remember those words of Naomi's? I call it Ruthian love. Words of Ruth, I should say. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God, my God. Where thou diest, I will die, there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Ruthian love. Now, this is not just a romantic relationship, not just a bonding between mother and child. A total unconditional love projected alike to in-laws or outlaws, friend or foe, neighbors or aliens. It's a commitment to the idea, the idea of Shakespeare's son, 116, when he says, love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds. That's a hard one. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds. You say, I love this person. I loved him and loved her with all my heart and soul. But after what he's done to me, I'll never forgive him. <laughs> You're telling the tale on yourself. You never loved him. Not really. You're involved in possessiveness, binding. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds. So if you find your attitude towards someone altering, thinking less of him because of what he's done. You never loved. 
It's a very stiff goal, isn't it? We, we, we have to decide whether we are going to keep involved in bonding toward certain people or whether we're going to give in to the human consciousness of binding. Choose to say whom you will serve, we're told. To bond with another is to awaken to our true nature in God and to relate to the person in this consciousness. In pure bonding, there can never be a binding of selfishness or possessiveness. You see, that's why we say that often the greatest illustration of bond in human experience is a friend. Often a friend will accept you with all your faults, without criticism, will always be there to counsel, to guide, to help, remain mutually supportive, mutually caring and sharing. That's a friend. When you have this kind of friendship, the bond endures even across the miles in separation. There's an interconnectedness that is spiritual and limitless. Many of the parents who have children over in the Saudi Arabian desert have a great challenge to decide, to find, to decide whether they are truly bonded with these young people, whether they've been involved in binding. Parents who are truly bonded can bless the youngster, pray for him, see him in good light, give thanks for his protection, and not worry about him. I'm constantly feeling he's got to come home, he's got to be here. Obviously, we want all of them to come home. But the important thing is our attitudes. You can't do much about a person who's separated from you. But you can do everything about your attitudes toward that experience. You can always work on yourself. As the Greek said, never cease working on that own statue. Maybe a great mystery, and we all have a long way to go, many challenging relationships to deal with through which to grow. But if we're open to inner guidance, consciously keep centered in the creative love flow, which is the fountainhead of the transcendental of nature, we will take giant steps upward and onward. And as Paul says, it's not yet manifest what man shall be. Tell me now in a few moments of quiet. I'd like us to use our imaging power, if you will. Think of one person with whom you desire to have a deeper bond, with whom you would like to give up binding and begin bonding. See this person here before you. Perhaps for the first time, really see him or her. Look beyond the appearances, beyond the masks of personality, beyond the differences that we've existed between us that block the flow. See this person as whole, a beautiful expression of the universe manifesting at that point as that person. Reaching forward to futuristic consciousness, believing that all the difficulties, limitations, possessiveness, the selfishness, the binding, 
has fallen away. For a moment, believe and act as if you had a perfect bond. In that consciousness, perhaps you'd like to consider the words, think through them as I say them. The words of Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law, Ruthie in love. Treat me not to leave thee, but return from following after thee. Whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Just feel good about that. Feel good about it. Believing that there is now within you and between you and this person a perfect bond in which there should be no fear of separation, no breaks in connectedness when the person's not with you. Release him, lose him or her, let them go. Give thanks that this bond that exists between you, which you envision as being there now, we keep you in perfect peace. We give you fulfillment. And definition. And support. Bless this person. Give thanks for this moment of bonding. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. <laughs>